Welcome to the Comic Sauce Podcast, where we talk comics and comics culture, presented by Cape and Cowl Comics. I am Henry Liu, and today is Tuesday, September 26th. Did you know that it is Latinx Heritage Month? And to commemorate this special time of year, I held a discussion panel just this past Friday, the 22nd, at Pandora headquarters in Oakland, California. I spoke with friends from the Latino Comics Expo. So here we go. Give a listen and enjoy. Ricardo Padilla, Mario Hernandez, and Jaime Crespo from the Latino Comics Expo. All right, hello everyone. Happy uh, Latinx Heritage Month. Oh, really? I'm Henry Liu. I'm a member of the mixtape community, <laughs> as well as the uh, Comic Geeks Perg here at Pandora. And um, welcome everyone to the Latino Comics Panel discussion. And let's give a warm wel welcome to our very special guests, Ricardo Padilla, Jaime Crespo, and Mario Hernandez. All right, so why don't we just go down the line here, get to know our panelists. Uh, you want to intro yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, um, my name is Ricardo Padilla like Henry said, and I'm proud to say that I'm the co-founder and executive director of the Latino Comics Expo, which is the nation's largest comic book convention for Latino and Latina comic book creators and animators in the world. No, uh, we've been doing it for about five or six years. Uh, we started here in San Francisco, over there, I mean, in San Francisco, at the Cartoon Art Museum. Um, our first year, we started with about 10 artists. We had about a couple hundred people come in. Uh, last year, we had it at the Museum of Latin American Art in Long Beach. And we had about 65 artists from all over the country, uh, Tijuana, uh, the Caribbean, Kansas City. And we had over 3,000 people attend our expo. So we're the little expo that could get bigger and better every year. Hi, my name is Jaime Crespo. I'm a cartoonist. I've been an underground guy since, I don't know, the late, no, the early, early to mid-80s. Um, I've had publishers. I've done so many comic books I've forgotten. I told them this morning. I actually just found one I never published. I forgot about it. Um, but I've had publishers, but I've always gone back to that, I guess, DIY kind of thing, you know, the Xeroxing and all that, which I'm back doing, and I think it's a control issue. So I just like having control. And I'm working on my first graphic novel, which is Turk Street Serenade, about when I used to live in the Tenderloin in the mid-80s. And it's, it's um, quite an experience. Mm -hmm. Oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm uh, Mario Hernandez, and I am one of the infamous Hernandez brothers, the lesser one. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I uh, helped it, it get Love and Rocket started with my brothers, and uh, it's turned into this phenomenon, which good for them. I'm just keep going, uh, and 
Uh, now I'm just, you know, doing the day job and working in uh, doing art, art projects and things. But uh, when I retire from actual work, I will be doing comics and art again. Uh, and, you know, it's like, really? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I hope to uh, get back on, the, back on the board sooner than later. But uh, thank you. But he's also, he's also humble. He's also the unofficial guardian angel of the Latino Comics Expo. We've More always, like a mascot. We've always counted on his advice and uh, his encouragement. So that's the one cool thing about our expo is that we've got Mario Hernandez in our corner. Because I could get my brothers to show up. <laughs> Great. So yeah, just like a quick note on format. I do have moderated questions, but we want it to be, you know, an open forum. So if you have a question or comment, feel free to just throw up a hand. I'll come over and uh, give you a mic. So yeah, let's get started. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the expo. So maybe Ricardo, you can talk about how it started and and um, just kind of your vision uh, for it. Well, I always tell the famous story that you know I I had two small kids at one time. Now they're all big and bossy. But when they were small, I wanted to introduce them to comic books. That was an important factor in, in my growing up. Um, in East LA, you know, comic books were like a bridge to literacy and escape for me. So when I had my kids, I really wanted to introduce them and have them love it. So I would take them to Comic-Con, WonderCon, Ape. I would always take them to comic book shows. But my kids were like, you know, cool little Bay Area kids. And they would always throw it in my face like, Daddy, you know, where are the comic books about Latino people, you know, where are the, the Aztec warriors you always tell us about, you know, where are the Mayan princesses, you know, and, and, you know, I'm looking around and it's, you know, all, you know, Hunger Games, Twilight and, you know, Walking Dead, and, you know, which I love, but it was hard to find, you know, comic books that would tell our stories from our communities and, I, you know, after going to conventions once in a while, you would find one artist here, one artist there, you know, all alone, you know, and it would make me mad. I was like, wow, I wish everybody was lined up, you know, to see the Latino comic book creators instead. And, and I would mention it to my comic book friends. And, you know, after years of complaining, they said, you know, instead of complaining all the time, Ricardo, you should just do your own expo. And from that crazy idea, you know, was born the Latino Comics Expo. And, you know, with the support of people like, you know, the Brothers Hernandez and independent, you know, artists like... Jaime Crespo, you know, with that kind of support, it started getting bigger and bigger. Probably the best story of that is like our second year, we were at Cartoon Art Museum and somebody said, oh, well, you know, underground legend, you know, Spain Rodriguez lives in San Francisco. You should ask him to see if he wants to be in the expo. And I was like, oh my God, it was like, we've got no budget. We've got like no nothing. You know, how's he going to be in our expo? So I knocked the door on his door and told him the things like, you know, we're just a little expo, just totally, you know, working class, no budget. And he said, I'm there. So, you know, we've been blessed to have the support of, you know, really cool artists, people who love comics. And, you know, like I said, every year we get a little bit bigger and better. And that's kind of how we started. That's great. Uh, so Mario, you mentioned you co-created Love and Rockets. And Love and Rockets is... I mean, it's really one of the most influential comic series of all time, I mean, period. You know, and this past summer, something really cool happened. 
your brothers, Gilbert and Jaime, they were inducted into the Eisner Award Hall of Fame. And that essentially is like the Oscars for comics. It's a tremendous honor. And I mean, they were inducted primarily for their work on Love and Rockets. So I'd love to get your side of uh, just the legacy and the influence of, of that particular comic series. Well, um, a lot of it was uh, is uh, that uh, we we were it was all seat of the pants at the beginning, you know, of uh, doing it and just trying to see if people would respond to something like that, a Love and Rockets type of type of book that wasn't superheroes and all that stuff. And uh, it, well, it did have superheroes on occasion, but that was just homages to stuff that we liked as kids, you know. So put our favorite stuff in there. Uh, but as well, as far as uh, the legacy here, I mean, are you kidding? The, 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 they didn't even call me to tell me they got the board. I had to hear it from other people. So, <laughs> so anyway, but it, I'm very, very proud of them. And it's like, when I think about it, I think, wow. I mean, even though they're the, the stars, they always put, and Mario. So I'm in the history books. I, I peaked many years ago. <laughs> I'm cool with it. They're, they're doing great. And I'm, I'm just very proud of them that they got this. this uh, I mean, they're up there with the real legends, you know, Kirby, everybody, Frazetta, everybody, Eisner, you know, the, uh, mixing the names. It's all cool. Yeah, it, that struck me. I, when I saw, I, I, you know, after they were inducted, I, I looked at, okay, who else is in the Eisner Hall of Fame? And it's the giants of the industry is Jack Who's Kirby, who? Stan Lee, you know, Bob Kane, the Superman creators, and Frank Miller, you name it, these legends. But also, I, it struck me is they're all like old white guys, <laughs> you know? So to have, you know, your brothers in there, it's, it's, it's something. Well, you know, uh, what, what we, you know, because we were doing this just ignorant of like, like, oh, let's just do it. Who cares if somebody says, oh, no, you don't want it. We, we, we had to show it around a lot uh, in order for people to finally get it. But it's a whole thing of timing. People weren't ready for it yet for a couple of years. And then finally, this whole new set of, of you know, college students and teenagers and uh, older folks and stuff, uh, comic fans, started getting into it. And uh, it was a great influence for the new Latino artists. A lot of them will say, you know, would see it on the thing. Who's the guy that did, uh, was it Juno? What's his name? Uh, Juno, Diaz. Juno Diaz, you know, famous writer. He says, he goes, wow, he, he saw Love and Rockets in the, uh, in, the, in the newsstand and just said, wow, Chicanos are actually doing this, you know? And now I guess I can, you know, and it was an inspiration. And I think it's, it's, it's great. And especially when you see, at the Comics Expo, you see rows of Latino artists and just talented, talented people, you know, putting out stuff. You know, some people are putting out, you know, uh, big, big stuff, some selling merchandise, uh, you know, but it's like design stuff, you know, T-shirts and clothes and, and toys and stuff like that. But then a lot of it is comics that people just see to the pants, just putting it out, you know. And uh, Jaime, you've had quite an influential career of your own in underground comics. Uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that whole scene, underground comics, and like you alluded to earlier, the whole you know, DIY aspect of it. It kind of goes in with what Mario said about people starting out. Um, you got an idea, at least when I did it back in the day, I don't know, photo, I guess photocopying was just starting to become quality, you know, and you didn't have to pay a dime a copy so 
and printers were just out of the question, you know. So DIY wasn't so much like, oh, we're cool, we just have no one to do it ourselves. It was almost out of necessity, you know, especially when you lived where I lived. So, but um, wow, an influence, huh? <laughs> that surprises me. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of an uphill battle, but it's it's basically labor of love. It starts out, you know, you just got a story, you want to put it out there, you want to do it with pictures. As Will Eisner said, we're sequential artists, you know, so you're doing things in sequence. And one thing led to another. Like I said, I've had publishers, and it, it is kind of a stepping stone to other things. But, you know, as I, I'm kind of, like he did too, I got married and had a kid well before my career got going, so I had to do crazy stuff, like make a house payment and, you know, oh, you want food on the table too, you know, so I had to go out and get that thing called a job. And uh, so cartooning kind of went in the background, but I still did the DIY stuff because, like, you know, it's kind of like you go crazy if you don't do it, but you go crazy doing it anyway, so you might as well do it. Yeah, one thing led to another. And like I said, it, it's also persistence. I'm not the most prolific cartoonist, but I've been doing it probably longer than half of you have been alive. Yes, I'm that old. But, um, yeah, I, I, and I see a lot of talent coming up now. It's just amazing. We were just talking about it on the way over here. Just the, the young people we have with the Latino Comics Expo, this kid, Dustin Garcia, who does uh, comics, but he also does animation, which I don't know if you ever got the, uh, the clip to these guys of that, the Latino Comics clip. Our animated promo on yeah. YouTube or latinocomicsexpo.com, yes. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> yeah. it's, been, it's been pretty amazing. You know, and as time's going on, I'm, I'm getting traction again because now I find myself in a situation where I have more time. I still feel like I'm kind of, I don't know, the cartoon equivalent of the witness protection program, but I figure that'll, you know, it's kind of changing a bit, so. I'm curious too about, with underground comics, it's, there's just, there's no limits really. You're not working within the confines of a big publisher who have certain demands. Like, what's your, approach like how do you come up with the stuff that you come up with like is it it seems with you it seems to be fairly like slice of life and autobiographical but i'd love to hear from you on your thoughts on that yeah it's it's auto it's autobiographical and biographical as well and it's just paying attention and yeah i do i like the the no limits and um how i come up with ideas is i used to keep copious notes i'm mean, going to write things on my arms on you know, napkins or whatever, like the tenderloin thing. I just paid attention, and this this graphic novel, which was a series of strips about 25 years ago, now they're fleshed out, is about the people that lived in and around the hotel in the neighborhood I was at, like the mad crapper uh, drug dealer down the hall, a sunny, a Puerto Rican uh, transvestite who was kind of like our dorm mom on the on the floor, and all the people and all the 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 pathos and, and the, the humor, the warmth, just humanity, you know, and it's, you just pay attention and you just, I'm just trying to translate it because I like that kind of stuff. I've always been kind of drawn towards real life things. And just to talk about influence, I mean, Jaime was way ahead of everybody else that would do this kind of like autobiographical slice of life because, you know, the Hernandez brothers were for sure the ones that, to pull it away from superheroes and, and show in and out you know, daily life, but, you know, Jaime, his work is amazing in that he really takes you into like a day by day, what happens, what happens at school, what happens in life. And, you know, when he started this, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you know, you wouldn't see that much of, you know, comics with that kind of theme, daily life, you know, slice of life stuff. And of course he takes it to the next level. 
with the exception of Harvey Picar. If any of you know uh, American Splendor, and I, I was honored. Harvey was a dear friend of mine and kind of a mentor. When I, my ex-wife's from Detroit, so when I used to go out there, I'd drive down to Cleveland to see Harvey, who everybody said he was grumpy, and also he was actually a really cool guy. He was very encouraging. I stopped drawing for almost five years when I had, to, I had a really gnarly job. I had no time. And he called me out of the blue to say, man, what the hell's going on? You know, you got stories to tell. And he kicked me in the butt. And the one story, though, that is true about him is he was kind of cheap. Because I'd go down to buy lunch, and I'd go, oh, I'll get it, Harvey. He'd go, oh, okay. I mean, his hand would even pass the wallet. He was just like, oh, great. You know, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I noticed you got a next, never mind. But yeah, but he was a guy. If you know who he is, American Splendor, Harvey P. Carr, he was, a, he was probably the godfather of that. And R. Crumb started out drawing it for him back in the day. It, yeah. Yeah, there's a movie starring uh, Paul Giamatti. It's, it's a great flick, and uh, yeah, Harvey Pekar is, is is a legend for sure. Um, so yeah, back to the expo. I mean, I think I think it's really great that it's it includes you know veteran creators like Mario and Jaime here, but also like Ricardo, you're saying there's a lot of sort of up and coming Latino and Latina artists as well, right? So. Yeah, that's that's definitely the fun part of it is that uh, well, people love our show because it's totally like comics oriented focus. I mean, ninety percent of it is comic book creators, animators. You know, not too many. I, I don't think we have any fan art, no plush toys or anything like that. It's just like really focused. Not too many. <laughs> Couple, a uh, crystal. Yeah. Um, so it's really like artist fo focused, and what people people have gone to like our first couple expos and then got inspired to do their own oh, yeah. comic book. We have a young guy, Daniel Parada. He went to our first one, got inspired, and now he's got his own like Mayan Game of Thrones. He's done like four issues. He's like working right now in London on an animated feature. It's like, whoa, you know. And it's just a cool place where like young guys can walk over, start talking to Mario, Hyman, just like, you know, ask questions, you know, shop stories with with Crespo, and so it's, that's the really fun thing about the Expo is that it's really like comic book focus and it's a good place for like networking as well and, and people interact because as Latino people, we are pretty social, so it's pretty good for the after parties and stuff. <laughs> I, I have to add to that too is the Latina component is really coming on. Uh, Liz Miorga was the first one. She came to my table at the first, first one. She wasn't exhibiting. And we hit it off, and I just thought, you know, well, that's great. You know, she's interested. The next year, she's back, and she has her own table. And she does, she bounces between Slice of Life and horror stuff and everything else. She's an East Bay resident here. And, and it's, it's really, there's Crystal Gonzalez, there's um, uh, Graciela Rodriguez. Um, I'm just, just hitting the, 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 the tip of the iceberg no, here. He's right, because, uh, like I said, our, our first year, we had about 10 artists. Last year, we had 65 artists um and for the first time ever we had more latina creators than latino creators and like jaime said we had uh you know vicky vico vega from chicago vico from chicago we had isabel castro this year is coming from san antonio uh, jules rivera jules rivera just moved out from florida so it's just amazing that the creativity i i say it's like a golden age right now of latino comics and animation uh people just don't know it yet uh you know, all this Batman, Superman, people forget that it's like 75, 80 years old. You know, I, I try to tell people we're, 
we're the content for the 21st century. We're still, you know, building our audience, but it's, it's really an amazing time. Like, you know, veteran creators, new creators. It's, it's a real fun expo, especially if you like comics. Yeah, with that in mind, what this is for anyone on the panel, what are your thoughts about just where you've been, where you are, where you're heading, and where are just Latino, Latina creators and storytellers? Where, where is it all going? Like, what is the future of all this, do you, you think? A lot of it uh, is online. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if anybody's uh, familiar with Scott McCloud, who uh, wrote, has written several books on comics and does his own comics and stuff. Uh, but uh, he, uh, whenever he, I'd, he'd come to visit me, he'd go right to our computer and go, I need you to show you this. And he would show some amazing comics and, with partial animation and stuff. And it was all women. It was beautiful stuff. It was phone conversations that did pass, like, and is just really amazing. And uh, it's all out there. <laughs> uh, I guess you just got to know where to look. But I think um, because of the internet, I mean, people, okay, people come up to me and they go, how do you get started? How do you get started? Back in the day, all I would say was, you get a writing stick, a piece of paper, and whatever you got here, and just go for it and then go to Kinko's and make yourself a comic or try and show it to somebody. That was the way you had to do it. Now, you can put it online and a zillion people will see it if you're lucky, you know. And uh, I think there should be like a YouTube for comics. Uh, TM, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it is, and it's, it's permeating everywhere. I mean, the, the future, it's everywhere. Like, like Mario said, it's animation, it's graphic novels, children books, Rodi Montijo. He kind of has his, his wet in his beak and everything. Um, you name it, it's there, you know. And then just to point out, Latinos, um, I also work with Native people too. My mother was Native American. Um, we've been here. <laughs> the whole time, you know, it's like we didn't cross no comics, the border. Though. Yeah, the border crossed us. <laughs> oh, you got to go to Mexico, man. The Aztecas had some pretty cool, pretty cool comics. Aztecs had comics. Yeah, yeah, the Mayas too. Yeah. And that's the important part of it too is just representation. Is like, you know, especially in this climate, you know, people need to see that we're here, that we've been here, that we'll continue to be here. Uh, I always say there's only a couple things that are really American. You know, maybe jazz, baseball, and and cartoon comic strip art so just the fact that we're doing it that we love it that we're representing you know our culture our background our stories is so important because i mean I, i'm an older person as well but it's kind of cool because you see all these young guys doing stuff young girls as well and it'll be about like lucha libre or it'll be about now all the stuff is coming out about the aztecs and you know futuristic mayans and you know science fiction this and that, and it's just, it's nice to see our stories, our people um, in the visual narrative. I mean, it's so important, especially for young kids. I mean, especially little boys have trouble starting to read and, and getting into books. So we always say comic books, it's a great bridge to literacy. And especially in our community, it's good to see yourself in the storyline. It's good to see yourself in the visual narrative. And I think that's one of the most important things about comics and animation. and. And, you know, why I love these guys, too. I just got to put one last thing there. There's also the uh, SoulCon. SoulCon, which is uh, the first uh, African-American Latino comics con of its kind. This is its third year. It's at uh, Ohio State University. I'll be there. It's next week. And that's really, I mean, it's hooked me up with so many people from all over the country. And it's showing that, yeah, the voices are there. Just and we don't want to take 
all the credit because like even though the our expo has been around since 2011 i do see that uh, other you know groups are also like you know the african americans do the black comics art fest every year at, at yerba buena during martin luther king uh i saw the queer expo has been doing it for a couple years now and we've been helping them get off the ground so it's just great it's like more stories more voices since you guys like are in music i always tell the people it's kind of like how people used to only go to the big record companies and then finally like cool little independent hip-hop labels and little punk rock labels would come in and that's where the cool music is that's where the cool comics and animation is at places like the latino comics expo great yeah i was thinking like kind of what i was saying earlier the comics industry is really been dominated by white men for so long do you do you feel so like right <laughs> do you feel like it's kind of been a struggle to uh, for what you guys have been doing or like what are your thoughts on that like obviously it sounds like things are are starting to shift you know which is great but uh, how, has it been a challenge to, to get where you guys are now uh, yeah, in a way, there was always a struggle, and like I said, when Rolling Rockets first started, nobody really knew what it was about. What it, they could, they people would look at it and go, "Wow, this is cool. The drawing's good," but I don't know what who, who what audience is this for? And I go, "Well, we're gonna make one." You know, my brother Gilbert said, "He goes, I'm gonna do comics that people need to read. I'm not gonna do what they want me to do." That's why when uh, uh, they would ask Jaime every time, when is Maggie going to lose weight? He said he put 10 pounds on her the next time. <laughs> so anyway, there's, you know, you got, you got fan pressure, you got uh, the peer pressure, you've got, uh, you know, the, the publishing side of it, the business side of it, which I don't recognize anymore. So I like to keep it low and slow with my homeboys here. What <laughs> <laughs> pues. Is it important to get kind of that mainstream big publisher recognition? Like, Ricardo, you're saying it's fine to kind of be the cool cats, right, and just do the indie thing. Uh, but is there, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I, I think, you know, things are changing, but we're still not seeing, you know, the big breakthrough in, in Marvel and DC for uh, Latinx creators and Latinx stories. Like, what well, take, think that? about this. Uh, I was looking at, I'm watching all these shows, you know, these DC shows and these Marvel shows and the movies and stuff. And I'm noticing that everybody's being ethnic. <laughs> there are never, they're not going to be any more white superheroes pretty soon. Everybody's either a woman or a transgender or uh, I'm sorry, whatever alphabet, sorry. And, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, the term black Nick Fury when when he turned black I was like when did this happen you know uh, just different stuff like that and I noticed it's it's really creeping in and like I said pretty soon uh, Superman well no he's not even white he's he's alien so uh, yeah and Batman maybe they'll be the only white superheroes left <laughs> sorry I mean you see it you see it coming I know like I tell people we're coming we're coming for the industry we're coming for it all and that's why I think you see some of the, the major corporations, you know, they're, they're trying to squeeze it in. They're trying to say, oh, yeah, we better put it in here. But I think it's not until they let us, you know, the creators, the people that really love it, you know, take more of an of a influence and a hand in it that you'll get, you know, better representation. But it's, it's like anything. It's a market share. And, you know, they, they look at us like, oh, you guys are only 18% of the market share or you guys are only... 
But if they look at it in terms of the quality and, and news stories, because that's the thing is I, I'm mostly a fan. I don't draw or write like these guys, but I'm a fan and I know I want different stories. It's like I, I've seen the Spider-Man origin story already, like, you know, how many times? And then especially with my kids and like the young people, they want new stuff. They want new stories. And, and I think, you know, hearing people's stories that normally don't have the chance, whether it's black, Asian, Latino, it's like, those are the stories I want to hear. Those are the points of views I want to see. I want to see different stuff. So for that fan, for that person that loves comics and animation, it's like, you know, we're the future for sure. Yeah, and Ricardo, you, you had mentioned the current political climate. Do you think that has been a factor in this sort of, I don't know, uh, revitalization in your expo and just Latinx creators wanting to get their stuff out there? Um, well, it's always kind of like right down the middle because there's, there's always the group that says, I'm an artist, I'm not a political artist, I just do my art. And then there's some people that do use the current situation to to make a commentary and stuff like that. And and the good thing about our expo is that we have room for everybody. You know, we don't blood test anybody. You know, even if you're not Latino, you can show at our expo, you know, if you have a storyline. We're, we're like inclusive. It's all about the art. But I do notice in this in this climate, people are more... Um, you know, interested in, in telling their stories and they want their stories out there. Like we were talking about uh, Vicko um, from Chicago. She does a beautiful comic about a young girl who's, you know, being deported and, um, you know, what her family has to go through about hearing that knock on the door. And it's like, oh, my God, it's like, when would you ever get that in a comic book, you know? So there's people that are using the current climate, um, you know, to tell those type of stories. Um, and it's always open to education because we table at a lot of the apes and the wonder cons and stuff like that. And, you know, people will come up to us and say, it's like, Latino comics, what's that? Or why are you trying to separate yourself? And it's like, no, we're not trying to separate. We're trying to join in and be part of this great, you know, comic book community and stuff like that. So, it has it has been it has its challenges, but it's also an amazing opportunity for people to tell stories and and make commentary. So, it, like I said, it's a great time right now for Latino comics and you know independent comics in general. Cool. Yeah, and um, and myself just as comic book fan, I, I really it really piqued my interest, Jaime, when you mentioned that you were really close with Harvey Picar. Like I love hearing like old stories like that, like. Um, did, did, and you said he was kind of a mentor, is that correct? Did, yes, did, yeah, he, what sort of things did he like pass on to you and he, what did he teach you? Uh, I don't know what he taught me consciously, you know, because we were kind of doing the same thing, only he did it before me. But we just talked about the, the everyday life, the form of writing. We always, we always put writing first. He's a, he was a writer, he wasn't a cartoonist. And I, you know, Mario and I do both. And writing is super important to the story. I don't care how well you can draw. If you don't have an interesting story, you know, great. It's, I don't want to see it, but getting back to that, we would talk about the importance of, of the writing. So he taught me, I guess, more or less to focus on stories, to kind of pay attention to some mundane things. I always like to tell kids when I talk about writing and, and observing things, it's not so much what's going on in front of you. Sometimes it's the periphery. It's the corners of your eyes. You can't you know, there's things that go by that are truly golden nuggets, so to speak. So we, we would just emphasize mostly the writing. 
he always said he was jealous because I could draw too. So he wanted to be able to keep it in-house, I guess. Nice. He's a great guy. I really miss him. I really do. And um, really for both of you, Mario and Jaime, I'm always curious from creators, especially creators who draw and write like you guys, were you, like, where did you learn that? Was, was it all self-taught? Like, was there some schooling? How did that all go? Oh, with, with me, it's one of those things where I read so many comics that you just learn the language. And, uh, you know, you sit there as little kids from five years old up, and you're, you're just making your own little stuff, you know, and pretty soon you get to learn the pacing. You get to learn, um, you know, uh, the narrative, the uh, drawing, drawing so that your eye follows the page, which if you ask my brother Jaime, he'll say, you do that? I don't ever do that. <laughs> and I go, you mean I've been killing myself trying to do this this whole time? <laughs> anyway, um, it, it, there's a lot of factors involved because there's, only, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can do in comics that you can't do in any other medium. And that's the hard part, is finding that, that one part that where you can really create something where you're using language and pictures that just kind of, it, it really should be a mix. A lot of stuff I see nowadays, I'm sorry to say, is just... Uh, uh, talking heads of uh, like comedy routines with pictures, you know. Um, there is a, a language of comics that, of course, all these old, all us old guys really like because we came from the older illustrator guys, uh, illustrated books and stuff like that. They were still alive when we were coming into comics. These, these guys were still painting pictures in, in books and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and you. And one of the things even, you know, we thought of was you really have to discipline yourself to draw. When the mini-comics craze started, boy, we were like, no, nobody wants to draw anymore, <laughs> you know? But, you know, and it comes around, and, you know, a lot of people, they can't draw, but they want to create, you know? And uh, it's, a, it's a tough one for a lot of people because they get frustrated. Um, when, when my wife was editing women's comics uh, back in the 80s or 90s, um, she would have a lot of women that wanted to contribute, but they couldn't draw. And they would ask, where can we get an artist? Where can we? And there weren't that many freelancers back then. Nobody was doing that kind of thing. It was just you, everybody was, it was a Bob Dylan thing. You did, you wrote and you drew, or you wrote and you sang, or whatever. And, uh, you know, you had to do it that way. Anyway. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the, the ones that came out, you said that they weren't really drawing anymore. Those are called zines now. So, because I get lumped in, and I like zines. There are zines I actually collect. Um, for me, it's pretty much the same thing. I, um, I was a horrible student, man. And when I say horrible, I mean, I went to a high school reunion a handful of years ago, and I thought, oh, man, they're going to, oh, you're, oh, you were such a jerk or whatever. But everyone said, like, man, you were, like, never here. <laughs> you know, you'd show up sometimes, You'd be like, where you been? And as soon as we'd go for the answer, you'd be gone again. So, but, so I spent more time on the left side of the margin doodling instead of right-hand side. And that's how you do it. I read comics. I read a lot of books. For some, I was like a closet reader. I was around a bunch of roughnecks and cholos and stuff. So I kept my reading kind of like on the down low. And I read, you know, I know it sounds crazy now, but, you know, I didn't feel like getting punched out, you know, because I was reading, you know, Another Country by James Baldwin or something. And then, of course, film. Movie was, movies were huge because what are comics? Again, sequential art. It's all about movement and storytelling. And I just love film. And I got into that too as well. And I could see it all translating. And I, I can go on and on about music and everything else, but I know, you know, 
You guys are sitting there going, oh, God, the old guys are talking. (laughs) I know that look for my son. But anyway, so it pretty much just, yeah, started from some kind of innate need to create, you know, because I'm probably like Mario. We didn't grow up with a lot of stuff. There was no computers. There was no cable TV. There was none of that. You know, you just woke up in the morning, went outside, and hit your friend with a rock or whatever you did. You know, Life. And used good old days. Shock. Yeah, the good old days. Yeah. Were there particular comic titles, comic creators, or, or films that influenced uh, your guys' yeah, work? Yeah, yeah, um, we, yeah. We had the triple threat in our life uh, because uh, it was my mom, single mom, with five kids, six after a while. And uh, it was like, entertain yourselves, draw oh, here's a stack of comics, you know, which was great. It was like, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. And then the TV was on constantly, and you heard the cartoon shows going on constantly, and you watch, you go, and you learn all this narrative, all this narrative stuff uh, from these, these shows and how to write snarky comments and things like that. And, uh, uh, but uh, I forget where this is going, but... Uh, <laughs> Any specific... Oh, the specific, uh, yeah, yeah, well, see, influences came from there, uh, a lot of the cartoon shows, uh, uh, and then into the uh, uh, movies, which we, you know, it was one of those every Sunday kind of thing, double features, anything that was on TV. My brother Gilbert is an encyclopedia of horror movies from the 40s and 50s and 30s, because he watched them. He didn't read about them, he watched them over and over again on TV, and he has, and I can call him up. I go, hey, there's a brain from Planet Aris is on tonight. He goes, oh, yeah, that one's with this one. And he'll just, you know, give you the Wikipedia on it. But, uh, and so and that's, you know, we were saturated in all that, that pop culture and stuff. And, uh, and then in comics, of course, Jack Kirby, you know, all the Fantastic Four, all that stuff. I bought all that stuff new on the stands when it came out. I feel sorry for the people when the new movies come out, like a Spider-Man movie or something, and I'm sitting there going, I've been waiting 50 years for this movie. This is really cool. <laughs> you know? And uh, I actually, I remember being in tears when I first saw Spider-Man swinging through the city. I was like, I've been waiting for this so long. <laughs> you know? Just uh, seeing your favorite stuff, you know? And uh, anyway, it's all that big influence stuff. That's how strong it is. You know, you can elicit a response years later that, you know, just emotional of all the great creativity you've, you've you know, come to know and stuff. Oh, as for, um, yeah, just for comics, pretty much the same line. We're, we're roughly near the same age, came up with the same stuff. The Sunday paper, or as my mom used to call them, the funnies, los funnies, um, you know, Charlie Brown, what have you. Comic books, I started getting to them a little bit later, but I had a cousin that got drafted into Vietnam and he gave me this big stack of comics and I remember they were all the um they were like Casper and hot stuff all the Harvey Harvey comics yeah and I had a stack of those sad sack but a third of them were were Disney were were Mickey Mouse comics by like Carl Barks and all that and half of those were only in Spanish so I had all those and there's like a hundred of them so like you know like to the nine-year-old I'm like oh a hundred comic books you know I'm yeah I'm rich um then, of course, the cartoon shows that were on Saturday mornings was the Chingon, man. That was like cartoon time from, from morning to night. But I think the one, if I had to peg one thing, 
one thing that really influenced me was Mad Magazine. I mean, I had a paper route, man. Yeah, I, I you know, you couldn't wait. I kept going a little story. Is it out yet? Ah, pendejo, it'll be out in a week, you know. And you come back the next day, is it out yet? And you're like, God, this kid, you know. So that really set me off. And all the artists and writers in that were just incredible, incredible. Yeah, you can't underestimate that because, especially as a young kid like Mad Magazine, just remember like opening up and seeing the name Sergio. Like, whoa, there's a Sergio working in Mad Magazine. And for a little Latino kid, that was like so big because, and Antonio, yeah, a spy versus spy. So it was, that was like so emotional. Like there is like life in comic books for, for Latino people or people with Latino names because comic books was always rough. I mean, I gravitated to like Silver Surfer since he was like an alien. He wasn't really like a regular guy. He was moody or of course like Black Panther, Luke Cage. Because, you know, Latino was kind of slim pickings. And then cartoons, we really only had Speedy Gonzalez. And or now, the Frito Bandito. Yeah, it was, and now even Speedy's not really politically correct anymore. So it was kind of slim pickings, you know. Uh, so, again, with uh, Jaime and Mario, are you veterans of the industry? And you, you touched upon Harvey Picar, but have you had other... I don't know, interesting interactions with creators over over the decades? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> there's yeah. several, because we used to go to the uh, first San Diego cons where, when they were very loose. They were, in hall, right? they were in a little hall. There were no women. If you saw a woman, it was somebody's mom dropping somebody <laughs> off. There was no girlfriends. There was nobody. There's all guys, all guys. And, uh, and then some of the, the like... Noel Neal from the Superman TV show would show up, you know, there'd be some people there and stuff like that. But it was mostly these creators, and a lot of them were these Mad Magazine guys. I remember getting in an elevator with Harvey Kurtzman and just kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Harvey Kurtzman was the creator of Mad Magazine, and I think he helped to develop Playboy for, with Hugh Hefner. Anyway, uh, but uh, yeah, and, and all these real famous guys standing in... Uh, Got in the elevator one time. <clears throat> I know these names don't mean anything to you guys, but uh, Bob Clampett was in there, huge guy. He, had, he, invented a lot, he did a lot of cartoons for the uh, Warner Brothers back in the day. Big name. Everybody talks about Chuck Jones. Well, he's as big as him. Uh, anyway, he was in the elevator, me and Harvey Picar, my brothers, and we, had just, we were just showing Love and Rockets around. We didn't even, it hadn't even been published yet, and we were just nobodies. And we're standing in there, and... Uh, and then all of a sudden the door opens and here comes Joe Schuster, the original artist of Superman. And he comes in and the poor guy is like almost blind and he stands there and he, with his back to the door and he goes, who's in here? <laughs> and Bob Clampett goes, right here, Joe, come on, here, turn around. And then when the doors opened for somebody else, he tried to go out. And so we had to grab him and say, no, this is not the floor, you know, and stuff. And I'm just thinking, these are my heroes. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all acting like a bunch of old, <laughs> old, old nuts, you know, in the, in the elevator here. And uh, it was just really neat. It was just kind of neat. You could kind of mingle with everybody back then and stuff. And, uh, but, uh, and uh, let's see. Uh, when I, I am usually, I've worked for a lot of celebrities, and I'm not gobstruck or anything. I've never been like, oh, my gosh, you're new, uh, Nicolas Cage or something. I, uh, so uh, when I met Jack Kirby for the first time, I could not say one word. I was just like, he was just that big of an influence on me. And I'm usually, like I said, I usually have a lot to say. 
blood. I said something totally innocuous, and I can't remember what it is now. He just laughed and, <laughs> and, said, and just like shook my hand, said, thank you. And it's like, ah, oh, and you walk away, and you're shivering, and you're going, oh, my gosh, you know. Um, yeah, stuff like that would happen every once in a while. <laughs> That's amazing. Where did you meet Jack Kirby? This was at a San Diego con, uh, and it was uh, like 10 years before he passed, but, and he was still going strong with a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, I met, uh, uh, here's a good one, uh, uh, Osamu Tezuka, oh, yeah. famous uh, Japanese creator, man, genius, doctor, you name it, uh, renaissance man. I managed to piss him off. Um, <laughs> well, because these guys, you'd see them every year at San Diego, about three years in a row, he, and he's there. And, and at the time, uh, there was not a lot of publicity about you know, everything, and you didn't, I didn't research anything. So I, I go up and I go, oh yeah, the guy that did Astro Boy, and I used to love that cartoon show and stuff. And I went and, I, and, and he, he, always, he wore a blue suit all the time and a blue beret that matched. And he was and he was always sketching and I was talking and he had a translator with him, and uh, I went up, I go up and I go, wow, Astro Boy, and then the translate and then he starts yelling at me, he starts going, you know, like this, and I'm just like, okay, and the translator's saying it's not Astro Boy, it's Tetsuan Adam, blah 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 blah, you know, and this and that, you know, and I go, and so then I go, okay, well, I'll I'll get a book, you know, and here, can you you know sign, you know. And he goes, what's it, what's it called? He kept telling me in Japan. <laughs> I go, what, what? <laughs> and then the translator said, you go, what's it called? And I go, well, it's, uh, it's the, you know, Astro Boy. <laughs> and he goes, no, what's it called? <laughs> and I go, Tetsuan Adam. Then he read the, the autograph and he drew a little picture for me and then he gave it to me. Lucky like, he didn't take you outside. And <laughs> I'm lucky I didn't get samurai man, you know? I mean, no, and then, you know, years later I think on it and I go, oh, Dummy, you know, you didn't. Even, you could ask him questions. You could have been. You could have been nice. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Yeah, th those two names. I mean, those are. I mean, top of the list. Jack Kirby and, and Tezuka. Tezuka created Astro Boy, Blackjack, uh, many uh, legendary uh, manga books. His, his manga books are like this thick, and they're amazing, amazing stuff. See, Henry, now, now you feel my pain because one of the dreams of the expo is. Uh, to have Mario just like put all these stories into a graphic novel and then we could open. I have to redraw most of it. <laughs> Great. All right, well, we're getting close to wrap up time. Uh, is there anything you guys want to plug? Maybe talk about, yeah, when is, the, when is the expo? Our expo is this November 11th and 12th in Long Beach, California at the beautiful Museum of Latin American Art, about a couple blocks down from the Queen Mary. So you could do both. You could go to the expo. And, but uh, like I said, we have 65 artists from all over the country. Um, beautiful place, free parking. Uh, we really encourage you to come out. Like I said, we have panels, animation, kids workshops, an amazing roster of artists. Um, definitely come check us out. November 11th and 12th, we're on, you know, internet, Instagram, Yahoo, everything. Pandora, so definitely check us out, uh, Latino Comics Expo, November 11th and 12th. Any chance you would return to the Bay Area or maybe have like a, a second, a, a second uh, Bay Area only event? Or oh, for something? sure, for sure, because uh, one of the sad things is that our friends at the Cartoon Art Museum with all this gentrification, they lost their lease um, near Yerba Buena Gardens, but the good news is they found a new location, a bigger, nicer location down 
by the cannery down by Fisherman's Wharf. So they're opening up, in fact, next month. So we hope to go back down there and have events. Because, uh, like, for example, last year we did an animation fest at the Alamo Draft House where, um, you know, a lot of the artists got to show their animation. So we do a lot of local events in the Bay Area. So definitely check us out at latinocomicsexpo.com. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Jaime, you have a about your graphic book. novel. Yeah. Uh, book. yeah, what the heck? I told you guys, a graphic novel, which was supposed to come out years ago. Um, I'll avoid the personal stuff. I got sick for a while, so I, I couldn't work, and then other things happened. But, and I also lost it, most of it on a hard drive. And, you know, all you guys are looking at me going, oh, why didn't you back it up? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Welcome to my world. <laughs> My son says, if my dad gets up and walks out the door and he's wearing his pants, his day started pretty darn good. So I'm one of those guys. But anyway, yeah, like I said, it's, um, it's about the Tenderloin. It's 30-some chapters long, and it's about all the characters from the mid-'80s when heroin was still around, but this new thing called crack was coming in. And I just watched the streets go from, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but junkies, they kind of like stuff on the down low. When they rip you off, they don't want you to know it. You know, they just like, don't like a lot of drama. The crack guys came in, and it was like the complete opposite. Yeah, it was the wildest. And it was like it was like staying in prison with no guards or bars and just no rules. It was all. But there was some funny stuff, too. So that hopefully will be out by this, before this time next year, I'm hoping. We're, we're here hoping. And I'm working on some other comic books, too, that are going to be out pretty soon. And what's the title of the... Oh, uh, my ongoing title is called Tortilla, and number five is coming out. The two, three, and four are still available. One is out of print, and I don't know where the art is. Docker. Uh, but, and the last one is mostly about uh, surfing and skateboarding. I've been a skater most of my life, and, and yeah. What's the name uh, of the graphic novel? Oh, uh, Turk Street Serenade is the name of the graphic novel. So it, that's the street I lived on. It was great. <laughs> One thing I wanted to know is, uh, aren't, is there just a Brownsville thing happening? Oh, Texas, yeah. yeah. Texas. Texas. Thank you, Mario. <laughs> no, one of the, the cool updates about the Latino Comics Expo is that people from around the country are starting to invite us. Um, so we're now we're going to be a touring expo as well. And our first tour begins in February. We'll be in Texas at the Brownsville Museum of Fine Arts. So it'll be Latino Comics Expo, Brownsville, Texas. So, and then after that, we'll probably be going to Chicago. We have an invitation to, to go, uh, yeah, if it's still there, <laughs> to have our expo in Chicago. And that's one thing we're noticing, that other states, other communities see the need, like, wow, you know, to bring something like that. We've never had anything like this before, so uh, the expo will start touring around as well. The saying is, brown people, we're everywhere. <laughs> well, I like that. Yeah. Trademark. Okay, well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for being here. Let's uh, give them thank a you. hand. Thank you. Thank you, guys, for coming out.